you probably notice as we're being going through Mark, it's it's quick. I mean, it, there's he just jumps from one thing to the other, and <coughs> it probably didn't happen quite this quick. Uh, but it's uh, we just came off of some great miracles in chapter six that he did, uh, walking on the water and healing the sick, and then feeding a bunch of people with that didn't have any food. Uh, so now he's, uh, I- this is going to start more now in Mark where the, the leaders are going to kind of come to him and start questioning whether he should be who he, uh, be followed, I guess. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's uh, in chapter 7. Um, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders and eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with my lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. (coughs) So we're already seeing some consternation between Jesus and some of these leaders. Now, this washing of the hands, you know, again, this is cultural. We have to remember this doesn't have anything to ger- do with germs. Uh, that wasn't something people understood back then. I mean, I think they understood something about it, but uh, not the way we do now. <coughs> now we probably wash our hands too much. But uh, back then it was, a, it was a ceremonial thing. I think the, uh, uh, it's the idea of doing what we do. Uh, that's what they're saying. Uh, it's tradition of the elders, uh, they were challenging Jesus' authority. Why do your disciples not do what we do? It's kind of, that's, that's the thing here. Uh, this is, appears to be, as it says, they came from Jerusalem up in Galilee, so this is why they came. You know, it's like, this seems like wouldn't be a much fun of a trip, you know. We're going to go up and complain to Jesus, you know. It's, but that's what it seems like they're kind of doing here. And then he quotes Isaiah, and you notice, and again, this is quick. There may have been more dialogue. We don't know. Uh, we're not going to put it in. We don't need it. It's here. What we what we need is here. But he said to them, notice in my my version is red letters, so you you can tell kind of when Jesus is talking. And so up until verse six, there's no red letter. They're just kind of talking. <coughs> and he said to them, think about this. If you're you know why why don't you? And maybe they ask it nicely. We don't know. Um, maybe they said, well why you know why does it why don't why you wash your hands like like we do, you know the undefiled thing. Um, and the way Jesus comes back at him is kind of interesting. Uh, he, he quotes an Isaiah prophecy. He calls them hypocrites, um, which I don't think in any language is a compliment. Uh, this is not, uh, 
Uh, and Jesus does this, and, and we have to be careful with this because we're not Jesus. I mean, I know sometimes we think we can get into people's face because they don't believe, but um, he knew their hearts, obviously, and, and we don't, and so we, we, we probably should be a little more. Well, Paul tells us that. As much as it depends on you, get along with everybody. Well, why isn't Jesus trying to get along with these guys? Well, because he's God, and he's going to do it the right way, and maybe you should realize you're not, and sometimes <laughs> if you're doing things belligerently, it's, it, you probably don't do it as good as he does. Um, you know, a hypocrite, uh, it's a word that we kind of know, but sometimes it's hard to define. Um, you know, it's it c- now it kind of means, and I think it did then too to some extent, you know, fake morals, outward only, cause and, and, and why we know that he's going to talk about that a little bit, we'll get that toward the end. The original meaning of hypocrite, it was the one who was the play actor in a Greek play. You're pretending to be something you're not. It's, you know, that's what you do. It's a, watch a movie. You know, somebody plays to be a, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that the Avengers actors really can't do all that stuff. They're play acting. Uh, and, and in that case, it doesn't make it wrong, but he's using it that way. You're, you're presenting yourself as one thing when in your heart you're really not that way. Uh, and, and maybe they did come up to him. You get this in, in uh, Matthew a lot, where they'll come up to challenging him, and they always say, teacher, we know you're a good teacher, and we just think you're wonderful. But then, and then they attack him. <laughs> and he knows that's going on. You know, He knows, and that's what he means by hypocrite. You're coming up and making it sound like you're just trying to learn from God through me, but really you're just trying to attack me. You're just trying to find a mess up. And it's this defiled hands that they do. And now that word defiled in your, in your uh, translation may in verse 5 and up in verse 2, defiled, it's, it's just the word for common. Um. So it's, 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 we, we do, we're Jews, we do things uncommon. You know, it's the idea, it's the word koine. I don't know if you knew this, but there were two types of, there are still, I guess, two types of Greek language. There's a classical Greek, and then there's what they call koine Greek, common Greek. You know, just nothing wrong with it. It's just what people commonly spoke. That's the word here. And that's what this whole, all of the New Testament is written in, is in koine, common Greek. Which is kind of cool, I think. It's done in classical Greek because it's not just for people who are, you know, classically. It's for everybody, you know. So, but that's all that word means. It's just like it, it's an idea of ceremonial washing. But his point seems to be that they're making their traditions higher than God Himself, um, the commandments of God, and he he gets pretty much in their face about. It. So he's not consumed or, or concerned with all traditions. Um, just the ones that set themselves up against God's revealed word. That's the, we have, everybody has traditions, right? You know, and, and the ones I usually speak against are the ones I don't like. The ones I like, then I think those are good, right? Like if you have a Christmas tradition that you have a certain food, or if you like the food, boy, that is a tradition we cannot quit. But if it's food you don't like, I mean, like if you got like a Thanksgiving tradition where you have like rhubarb pie. I mean, you need to get rid of that tradition. I mean, that's just, you know, it's unreasonable. You know, I mean, but isn't that what we do? In churches, it's always, there's scriptures out there that traditions are good, traditions are bad. It all depends on what you're you're, uh, making that assessment from. 
you know, the Second Corinthians 10 is always, or excuse me, uh, 10.5, yeah. The, the, it's a very good verse. It sums up, this is the spiritual warfare part. Uh, we do not fight against, you know, just flesh. This is the, how do we, how do we do that? How do we fight against the forces of evil? You know, we destroy arguments. It's interesting. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, if, if God wanted uh, a warrior Messiah and he wants us to be warriors, he'd make us all Avengers and we could probably fly around with swords and all kinds of stuff. What would be a good way of God revealing himself if he wants us to destroy arguments? Boy, this must have been harder than I thought. Yeah, I mean, how about some words? You know, some, some, that's what Jesus does. You know, what is Jesus called? In the beginning was the word. I mean, it's almost like... It's almost like God knows what he's doing here. I mean, it, it, this is how would I destroy arguments? With what? With, with cases, with, with what he's telling us. Um, this is the idea. How would we say if a tradition is good or bad? Well, or, you know, and here he's not really saying it's bad. It's just it's not the main point. You know, we can all do that. I, I'm knowing none of you are doing that today, right? None of you are coming here and just going through the motions. Because none, none, you know, none of us can fake it. And there's a difference between going through the motions and believing it and going through the motions and not believing it, right? That, that's, there's a difference between those two. But this is a contemporary church problem. You know, what do we do with traditions? Do we hang on to them too long? Do we not look to what we can do? What it, and a lot of it just comes, what's your goal? But it stems from either not seeing God's word as ultimately authoritative. It's like, what if somebody shows us that our tradition really isn't as important as we thought? It's easy, you know, uh, when, when we're trying to do, when we're the one wanting to change it, to see it different, but when we don't, it's, it's hard for us to see that. And a lot of times, we just take biblical text out of context, you know. I mean, couldn't we do that today? Our tradition now will be, every time we have any type of potluck, I'm going to stand there and watch that every one of you wash your hands. Because it says it in the Bible. You know, you could that would be kind of taking the verse out of context, wouldn't it? Because they're not really talking about that. This was ceremonial washing. Of course, then we have to, <laughs> I thought that, I didn't remember seeing that until I read it just right now. Washing cups and pots. I, I, won't, I won't go there. Uh, and copper vessels. <laughs> and dining couches. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even sure what a dining couch is, but you got to get that sucker washed before you can do the right thing. See, that it's, again, we don't want to take things out of context. Uh, and I think a lot of problems in churches is, first of all, we're often not hum humble about things. What if, well, these, this group does this, and we do this. Now, we might be right, and that's, that's good, but let's at least listen to the other group. You know, I think it's a good thought that if you're not willing to listen to another person's argument, how strong is yours? If you're just going to listen to people that agree with you, well, that's not hard. You know, if, they're, if you really like doing that, you can get on flatersociety.com. They only listen to each other. Yeah, and I don't know. Do you want to do that? So ultimately, the Isaiah passage reveals the core that their heart is far from it. Where is your heart? And that's hard. 
Jesus knew it. We don't. Somebody may do something against you or do something that seems weird for God, and you, you t- there's no way you're going to know their heart. All we can do is, Jesus said, the tree is judged by its fruit. We just can kind of, and, and you try to give grace where you can. But what he said they're doing is continually violating the first and greatest commandment. You know, they're not loving God. They're loving their own stuff. And in verses 9 through 12, he gives them an example, which is a little weird for us because the word Corbin is not something we use a lot. Um, it's a Hebrew Aramaic word that, that this, it's, a, it's when you designate a whole offering. Corbin means you bring everything and it burn it all up. And what he's saying is you're bringing everything to God and saying, hey, I gave this to God. But then their tradition was saying that, that the burnt offering was to be more important than God's direct revealed word through Moses of taking care of their mom and dad. I mean, it's it just, y- you're, doing, you're not doing what the law really meant. Um, I, we get that in, in giving in, in churches. It's, uh, well, let me say this. If you've got some money set aside to help your mom and dad, don't fill out an envelope. Don't give anything. Get that. I mean, it's, that's okay. You can do that. That's probably more important right now. Yeah, I just don't, I mean, to say that churches can do that. Pastors are really good at that. You know, we can say, well, give it to us because we're working for God. None of y'all are, just, just us. You know, it's a little bit silly, isn't it? I've loved the way our church has done it. We don't do a lot of pledges. We just kind of say, you know, give with a cheerful heart. And people say, well, what if we don't get enough money? And I'm like, well, then I'll look for another job. You know, it's really not that hard. You know, and it's never been a problem at all because, you know, it, it's just the, and again, it, it's, it's, you're taking the weightier parts of the law and putting them down and doing this stuff just to kind of go through the motions. You know, this money in this case is used to helping parents in need was instead being used to fulfill some sort of outward religious vow and then cause them to break God's direct commandment. Um, I mean, all of your money and time is God's. Just give it to him in the way that you think the spirit and other wise people around you want to. It's really not that hard. It's kind of, should be kind of freeing, <laughs> you know. Kind of do what you feel God wants you to do. Quit worrying so much. I think we do that too much. In Matthew 23, he's, it, this is kind of similar. Uh, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And who's he talking to there? I mean, it's not hard, right? Because it says... The Pharisees and the religious law leaders. He's not talking to you directly there. There's a thing, but there's nothing in the Bible that in the New Testament that says you're supposed to tithe. Old Testament, but not in the New. Uh, so you can tithe if you want. That's up to you. It just means a tenth. Um, you know, give the twentieth. Give fifty percent. I don't know. Do whatever you want. Whatever you feel God leads you to do. It's a that's why we got envelopes up, and that's just for the shed, from one to hundred. That's why you do it that way. What is that verse in Second Corinthians? Uh, God loves a annoyed giver, right? 
God loves the givers that just beat to death, so that's like, okay, here. You know, it's, it's a cheerful giver. You know, it's much more fun yeah, that way. Uh, but notice his last phrase here, uh, and many things you do. So he's just given one example here. Uh, but this p- appears to be pretty common, that, the, that their tradition is over God's commandments. You know, there is a very finite amount of God-revealed word. You know, we're big on that. Lots of churches are, but we are too. This is it. How much more revelation do we need from God? I said need. Want? That's another story. Nothing. We don't need any more. I remember being told myself, you know, it's like, well, you, so you have it all memorized now. Mm, No. Well, maybe you should get that done first, then we can talk about more. And even when you memorize it, do you apply it? You know, the thing about the, the Bible, it's like when we read through this, you get one verse and you're like, oh, I don't remember that one. Or I don't remember it that way. You might not have known until you walked in here today that there was a dude way back when that prayed to God and he was really ticked off. But you just read it in, in Psalm 77. There's stuff in there we forget that's there. Mine it. Look for it. It's the main way God has revealed himself. Um, A couple verses about traditions. Colossians 2 apes. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You know, that's the, you know, Christ. Wh- well, what has he said? We've got a lot of stuff here. You got four Gospels, all this teaching. And please, here's a perfect example. This does not say that all philosophy is bad. This is the philosophy of of human tradition. This is the philosophy that takes, that's about the elemental spirits and not according to Christ. That's bad. Jesus was a philosopher, right? What is philosophy? Anybody know what that means? Boy, a lot of rhetorical questions. I'm not getting much. Is any Baptist in here? Come on. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Doesn't mean that. No, it's the lover of wisdom. You know, it's the, the knowledge of, of wisdom and, and knowing it, you know. That's, that's, that's what it is. Did, did Jesus love wisdom? I think so. He's a philosopher. It's the, it's, you know, I mean, if, you, if I said, okay, you're here today and I'm good. Why are you here? Well, now we're into philosophy. <laughs> and I think it's fun to talk about. Jesus uses it a lot. It's the idea of knowing, you know, the philosopher is the one that can tell us, why we should do something. Here's a, there's a movie, I haven't seen it yet, and uh, I know it's probably nobody's going to raise their hand because everybody's, I don't know, we've got a bunch of frozen chosen here today. But I'm glad you're here, though. Um, how many have seen Oppenheimer? Okay, so that's about the nuclear fission and the idea of making a, a, a all that power. Now, science can tell you how to do it, Right? Science can tell you what to do to contain it, what to, y- to use it, whether you're using it to power, which I, o- I just read they opened up a plant in Georgia. The nuclear is going to, it's like more gigawatts than you can do the, you know, the back to the future car. Um, lots of gigawatts there. Um, very helpful. But that movie is not about the nuclear power plant, is it? Can science tell us whether or not you should use that in war? What do you have to go to? 
Somebody say it. Thank you. Give that man a cheroot. No, no, we don't smoke in here. So, <laughs> but the idea, you know, you've got the, that's it, philosophy. You, you, science is not going to tell you whether you should do something. It's just going to tell you what you can do. And what is theology but the philosophy of God? So, yeah, you were right when you said the Bible. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's a book that tells us why we should do something, too. And sometimes it doesn't tell us the whys we want, but it tells you all the whys you need. I mean, I th why are people suffering this right now, according to the Bible? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we're in a fallen world. It's not really that hard. It doesn't make the suffering fun. I'm not saying that, but we know why. It's back to that story of reality we had with the, it, it, you know, it, it's the idea that Christianity, Christ, is the only one that has a philosophy or a theology that lines up with reality. It's the only one. You know, Buddhism will tell you that suffering is just an illusion. Well, that's okay. Well, if that's true, well, whoopee. What am I supposed to do with that? And most of the other religions tell you you're suffering because you did something wrong either in this life or a previous one. Christianity comes along and says we're in a world where there is evil, there is free will, but God's in the middle of it, and even through the suffering that he allows or causes for his morally sufficient reasons that he is with us. I think it's pretty good. I, I think it's the best. But you got to listen to the other ones, I guess. But, but they don't make a lot of sense. Second Thessalonians, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by. So tradition can be good, too. <laughs> it depends on where they're, either by the spoken word or by our letter. You know, it's back to reviled word. Well, let's go to the second half here quickly to what defiles a person. He's going to take this and do a, 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 a even deeper teaching for us. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So now if you're, we're, we're just the disciples. And he said to them, Then you, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? And that defile means to, to, to cause spiritual problems. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach is expelled. He's not saying that if you eat too spicy a food that it's not going to defile your stomach. He's talking about your heart. Thus he declared all foods clean. This is a great verse, especially for you pork farmers. Because <laughs> if this wasn't true, we couldn't have any of that, right, as, as, as good kosher juice. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within the heart, from within, out of the heart of man come. And here's a kind of an interesting list. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So it's the heart that's the problem. And he's showing how a lot of these leaders were worried about outward appearance. He doesn't call them whitewashed tombs in other places <laughs> because it's a compliment, right? 
So he's teaching the people in verses 14 and 15 and just his disciples at the end. And that's always so cool. We get this in, in the Gospels quite a bit where we kind of always get the fly on the wall. You know, you're like, oh, you get to see the next section. Because, you know, it, there's you probably can a little bit figure out what he's talking about in the first two verses that he really lands the plane for us. So this is another core teaching we get uh, regarding traditions. The defiled human heart is much deeper than one might assume. This was the probably the problem today and back at Jesus' time. They didn't, most of the leaders didn't think they were that bad. They didn't think that in, in all the course of things that they really fell short of the glory of God. As long as they followed these rules, that God would generally like them and they would generally not go to hell and generally go to heaven. Generally. Um, but you look at Jeremiah, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah is in which testament? Yeah, this, is, this sounds like Jesus. <laughs> sounds like Paul. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Ugh. Does that make you feel good or bad? But God knows every thought that you have. <laughs> Depends on the day, right? <laughs> if I'm thinking good thoughts, it's like, bring it on. If I'm thinking bad thoughts, I'm like, Eek, I don't want that. This is hard. I mean, this is I the idea that there's a problem deeper than just what we do. It's our heart. The core problem is what dwells in the heart, the things that come out, not the things that go into a person. And I thought this was summed up well from Anselm of Canterbury, who had some good writings about the atonement also. He was a very good theologian back in the 11th century. But you have not yet considered the great weight of your sin. This is step one, folks, in the gospel. People don't like to hear this. I didn't like to hear it when I heard it as a, as a college student. Somebody telling me, you, are, you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, I thought it was a pretty good guy certainly wasn't like some of those other people. And I wasn't. I mean, I hadn't done that many things wrong. Hadn't been arrested yet. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, because we, we have to be careful, because certainly there are some people who are worse than others, I mean, in, in what they do. Uh, that's okay, but again, what is it? There's a difference between which sin is worse than the other. I mean, I think we would all say, maybe I got the mic so I can say it, murder is worse than, you know, than littering. Right? I mean, I... And speeding, I'm not even sure that's even a problem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some days, depends on if I'm in a hurry. <coughs> so, but, uh, but, but see what I mean? It's, it's, yes, there's a difference in how bad... Think about the penalties. What, I don't know what the penalty for littering is, but I think it's probably lower than murder. But then you ratchet up, what separates us from God? Well, that's a hard issue, right? So it comes down to all sin. There's not a level of sin when it comes to separation from God. There is a level of sin when it comes to accountability and what you do. Jesus even said that with Pilate. You know, the one who has handed me over to you, which is the Jews, have committed a greater sin not that all y'all are in trouble <laughs> but they knew better you know Pilate, you're just ignorant you don't understand who i am they should know they have the law and the prophets so 
I think this and Psalm is a very good, you know, considering the weight of our sin, it's like you don't want to beat people down with this, but if this is the truth, you're not going to do anybody any good saying you're okay. God loves you just the way you are. How many times have you heard that? Is that true? Hopefully you use your tactics. Well, what do you mean by that? In some ways it is, right? God does love you, this, but does he, he doesn't want you to stay there. That's, that's called discipleship. <laughs> why? Because he continues to love you. God designed you to be in relationship with him. And loving you just the way you are, if you're not in relationship, if it's all, not all that loving. And then when you change and you say, I ask for forgiveness, I realize the weight of my sin, and you become in relationship with him, he wants to get you deeper and deeper relationship. I just did a wedding yesterday. Should I have told them? It's like, you're at the pinnacle. This is it. You made this commitment. Doesn't really make any difference what you do now. Do whatever you want. Don't develop the relationship. Don't get to know each other. You'll probably find out some things you don't like. I didn't say any of that. But we do that to God sometimes. It's like, well, thank you for the get out of hell free card. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm sure that cross thing really hurt. You know, you think about it, it's like, eh. He really wants deeper than sometimes we give him. You know, and that's, that, that's it, you know. But again, back to that verse that we have, you know, if I do feel guilty, man, it's probably good. Maybe I should be focusing more on him and less on other things. So throughout Scripture, we see that the heart refers to the center of one's being. It's, it's the emotion. It's not like the we use it with the little, you know, heart things we use. It's just emotion. It's, it's, it's your will. It's your whole person. Almost soul is almost a good uh, synonym for it. And Mark's comment in verse 19, uh, as he looked back on the event, was influenced, I think, by Peter's own experience in Joppa when it comes to this. Thus, he declared all foods clean. We do think Peter has informed this gospel quite a bit. Because remember, Peter had that experience where he was told to eat everything. And, 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 and God said, do not call something unclean that God has made unclean. So, um, so when we see the new covenant in Christ doing away with the ceremonial portions of the Old Testament is consistently taught throughout. We see it in Acts where he's talking about that we should write and tell the Gentiles in the Jerusalem Council they don't have to follow all these laws because they're, they're in Christ. And when you get to Galatians, he says, let me put it another. The law was our guardian until Christ came. I love that verse. Now we got Christ. Now we got his being obedient to him. We don't need the guardian anymore, for we're all children through faith in Christ Jesus. So as you look into this, this list is very similar to Galatians, where we have the fruit of the Spirit at the end in chapter 5. This is a very similar list that Paul picks up on. These are the things that come out of an evil heart. But what he's trying to get in all of this is the major in the majors. What are the main things that make a difference in this world? And that's following Christ, right? Knowing him, knowing you have eternal life, living like you have eternal life, and treating other people like you have eternal life. <laughs> Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, as John the Baptist told us. So Jesus comes to change the heart and mind. They're starting to figure that out. The disciples are starting to figure this out. 
He does this in his teaching. He's going to show true love by his death to get us connected to him. And then the Holy Spirit is going to push us and help us take our guilt and repent and believe. But we always have to remember that the way we act and how we treat God and people are the best indicator for us where our heart is. But we have an advocate. It's so cool that even when we mess up, we put all our sins at the foot of the cross and the grace just keeps coming. What a gracious God. Let us pray. Father, we uh, look into this and sometimes always, uh, we always seem to think that this is somebody else. This isn't us. These people are bad traditions. These people aren't understanding. But yet we know sometimes we don't treat people in the way uh, that we should. And we hold on to things maybe that aren't as deeply biblical as, as, as we think they are. May we always be humble. May we always be people who realize that you've given us the bread of life. Um, and we are just another beggar telling a beggar, a beggar which way to find food. May we always remember that it's grace that we are saved and it gives us a connection with you. We thank you in Jesus' name.